This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. In this weekly show, the Husker Online team will give you the latest insight on Husker football, basketball, baseball, and of course, recruiting. Now, here's your host, Husker Online publisher, Sean Callahan. Hello here and welcome to another edition of the Husker Online show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus says we're going to start off with NFL Draft Talk. Guys, a lot to talk about. Okay, not really not, not really a lot to talk about here as, as we look at the draft. Uh, Nebraska, one player picked. Over over 500 players, Robin, have been drafted the last two years. I think it's 507 or 508 in the last two drafts. Nebraska's had two players drafted um, in those two drafts. Tanner Lee this past year in the sixth round. Nathan Gary, was he fifth round last year? Six. Sixth round as well. So two six-round picks. Um, yeah, you've had some guys like Brandon Riley make active rosters as, um, you know, undrafted free agents. Um, and, you know, a number of guys this past year um, signed some undrafted free agent deals. And, you know, Seaton Carter made it that way as well. But um, it, it just really kind of puts into perspective where Nebraska football is at. Um, it is the worst run they've had in the draft now in the modern day era of the program. Really, since the draft has existed, uh, Nebraska's never had a run like they're on right now. And um, I think it's led to a very interesting debate. Is it lack of talent? Is it lack of development? Is it culture? Is it just, you know, a lot of things make you wonder uh, because we know there, 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 there is talent on this team, but was it not developed right? Do NFL teams, do they just not want anything to do with certain guys on this Husker team? Cause they didn't really trust what they were going to get, whether it was the knees of Chris Jones, the mental side of Nick Gates, um, Joshua Kalu was kind of a tweener between corner and safety. Um, so there was a lot there to chew on, Robin, when you kind of look at how the draft played out. Yeah, and so not only are they barely getting guys in, uh, I mean, it's like the latest it's ever been during the streak that goes all the way back to the early 60s. Uh, I mean, I think that uh, Tanner Lee was the latest it's been into a draft before a Husker finally got his name called during that streak. And so, I mean, it's getting pushed and put further and further uh, towards the limit of, of snapping that streak. Uh, and so it's alarming. And, you know, I know a lot of people don't want to put too much stock in to um, how talent translates to the NFL as to what it reflects on a program. But I think you can make a direct correlation. If you're not putting dudes in the league, there's something going on. And, um, you know, Nate could probably chime on this more, but they're recruiting at a high enough level that it should not be as bare of a cupboard as it's been as far as what they're producing to the NFL. And, I mean, they're, they're when guys. When you use Wisconsin Iowa as examples. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Wisconsin and Iowa are turning three stars and put them into first and second round draft picks, whereas Nebraska is taking four, potentially even five stars and they're getting undrafted and not even being in the conversation of being picked. And, and Nebraska's so, recruiting model has never been like Alabama. They're not getting the ready-made finish guys. They have to get the guy and develop him into the player. And so you just answered your question right there. I mean, you're getting guys that should be good enough, but they're not getting good enough. And so for me, it's all about development. Well, yeah. And I mean, Nebraska's average recruiting class is about is easily 10, 10 spots higher than that of Iowa and Wisconsin. If yet, not 15 to 20. Exactly. And in Nebraska, yet Iowa and Wisconsin have produced way more NFL draft picks lately than than the Huskers. So um, and, and I think you can point to Nick Gates as a perfect example. How, how did his game change? How did his body change from from the his freshman year? I, he was worse as 
a junior yes. as he was a freshman. I, I, I agree completely. He did not take any steps forward physically or as as a player, you know, developmental wise. So um, I, I think that uh, I think that pretty much is the key. I think Zach Duvall. If this thing's going to get turned around, I think it starts with Zach Duvall and and the work that he's going to be uh, putting those guys through in the weight room. And um, and I think you know from everything that we've seen so far, I think that uh, that he's going to be able to do that. But obviously, it takes a lot of buy-in and and also recruiting uh, the right types of guys too. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's kind of scary when you look at you know how far Nebraska has dropped off here lately. Well, and, and with that said, guys, congrats to Tanner Lee uh, on getting drafted. I mean, he had the worst running game in modern day Nebraska football history around him. One of the more inconsistent offensive lines, one of the worst defenses we've ever seen in the program. So, didn't have a lot to to help his cause. Um, still gets drafted. He's the first, I believe he's the only quarterback drafted in the Big Ten. Um, JT Barrett was not drafted. I know that got a little guys rustled on Twitter that Tanner Lee got drafted and JT Barrett did not. Um, but once again, the NFL is a different game, Robin, than college football. It is a pocket game. It is an arm strength game. Um, and Tanner Lee checks a lot of those boxes. And one of his old coaches, his former offensive coordinator, is an assistant coach in Jacksonville. Yeah. And so, I mean, he had enough NFL pedigree around him. I mean, even before he came to Nebraska, I mean, there were NFL guys that knew who he was and already liked him as a prospect. And so uh, just because he threw a lot of interceptions last year wasn't going to deter um, too much uh, how NFL people were evaluating him. He is a pro quarterback. And is he ever going to start? I don't know. Probably not. But I think he is definitely a serviceable backup that can have a roster spot for over a decade, uh, just like a lot of these guys that you know are probably if just as good, if not even worse than he is from a talent perspective. The one guy I was the most surprised about was Joshua Kalu. I thought that he had the best, I mean, maybe next to Tanner. With the combine he had. Yeah, he had a good combine. He's a versatile player that can do play three different secondary spots, play special teams, uh, and that's that has a lot of value. So I don't know what the deal was with him, but um, you know, I, I thought that Nebraska was going to get two guys. I didn't think Chris Jones or Gates were going to get drafted, but I thought Nebraska could get two, and Kalu getting left off um, was a bit of a surprise to me, but not a total shock. Yeah, I mean, that was the big surprise to me was Kalu, just because he is that hybrid type of player, and I, I think that's, um, you know, from what I've seen, I, I feel like that's something that a lot of NFL teams kind of value uh, covet these days, is is a versatile player that can do a lot of different things, could could be, um, you know, a guy that you could plug in in, in certain sub-packages and, and also help out on special teams, and, and so I, I thought for that reason, combined with what he did in Indianapolis at the Combine, I, I thought that he was he was going to be a, a late round guy for sure, but uh, didn't play out that way. I, I, I think that he I think that he's got a really good shot at making the the team. But um, and then t- with Tanner Lee, yeah, I would not be surprised if he ends up being the number three guy at Jacksonville or or you know a, a number three or, or number two guy in the NFL for quite a long time. Bob Diaco, what's your thoughts on Joshua Kalu? Joshua Kalu <laughs> could play a myriad of different positions really, really well. Um, he's a talented player. He's a rugged, tough player. He's a smart player. We all collectively believe that safety is his natural position. We believe that from an evaluation standpoint and a future standpoint, that he would be a very, very good corner, maybe even a great corner. 
But in my mind, there's no doubt that he is and or will be one of the best safeties in the country, if not the very best safety in the country. And, and furthermore, the safeties are really premier positions in our defense. So in our defensive system, it's a big, big deal to have great safety play. And thanks for our, to our special guest, former Nebraska defensive coordinator Bob Diaco, <clears throat> with his uh, pre-draft analysis there. I'm not Joshua Clue. Furthermore. I mean, you think about that comment, Billy Devaney's comments about Tanner Lee calling him a first-round pick before he even was eligible to play at Nebraska. I mean, some of it just was not necessary as far as kind of putting unnecessary pressure on these guys the last couple of years. I'm curious how many people turned off the podcast when you put that bite on. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, Nebraska was its own worst enemy so many times just by saying dumb stuff like that. You can just say we really like him at safety and think he's a better fit there. You don't have to say he could be the best safety in all of college football when he's never played a snap there at the collegiate level. I mean, I mean it's one of many uh, issues with Bob Diaco and that whole uh, staff from the past three seasons. And um, hopefully we don't have to deal with any of that in, in the future. Now, going forward, guys, you start to look at next year, the senior class particularly for the draft, and it's going to be slim for Nebraska as far as legitimate draft prospects. I think we all at the table right now would agree Stanley Morgan is going to be safely a top four round pick if he has another year like he had he should fall in the top four rounds of the draft but after that there is no slam dunk guys that could be drafted at this point I mean a number of guys that if a big year could get up there Mick Stoltenberg maybe Freedom Akamaladun maybe DJ Foster Tanner Farmer on the O-line if they have big seasons Dedrick Young seems like a long shot right now at linebacker. Aaron Williams at safety is a guy to watch. Um, so, yeah, next year's draft, Nate, really no slam dunks, in my opinion, other than Stanley Morgan. Yeah, I think it goes back to development. How how much can these guys develop here in, in the course of, of one year? Um, and, you know, I think, we, like you said, we all agree that Stanley Morgan is probably that, that ready-made guy, that, that slam dunk. But can a guy like Tanner Farmer or DJ Foster on the offensive line take that next step? Uh, can Mick Stoltenberg stay healthy enough to, to make an impact? And, and kind of raise his stock, um, you know, it, or can Aaron Williams kind of, um, you know, reel in a lot of interceptions and kind of make a name for himself a little bit to, to rise up some draft boards there. So uh, I think it's that development part here uh, that's really going to play a factor with a lot of the guys that we just talked about. All right, when we come back, we're going to shift over to the schedule. And we knew it was going to be a tough schedule, but as some of these post-spring ratings have come out, it's really put into perspective the challenge Nebraska will face here in 2018. We'll discuss that next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus. As we were talking schedule now, we, you know, you guys, we knew that this was going to be a tough schedule I think it's one of the toughest, if not the toughest, in the modern-day history of Nebraska football. And Stuart Mandel did his post-spring top 25, CBS, ESPN, everyone's done them. But of Nebraska's 12 games on the top 25, they've got, get this, guys, six of their 12 games are against top 25 opponents. Number three, Ohio State. Number four, Wisconsin, both on the road. Number seven, Michigan State. And that won't get your surprise that Michigan State's number seven. A lot of people are high on the Spartans. Uh, that game is in Lincoln. Um, then number 10, Michigan, now with Shea Patterson being cleared eligible. That game's on the road for Nebraska. Then 
Um, on top of that, you've got uh, uh, Northwestern on the road at number 22 and Iowa at number 24. Um, and then, you know, you look at Troy. Troy won 11 games last year. They won the Sun Belt. Uh, Akron comes into Lincoln. Uh, they won their division in the MAC. Uh, Terry Bowden's their head coach. Colorado was down last year. They were five and seven. Um, the, you know, Purdue had one of their best years in, in you know the last fifteen plus seasons there. Um, so there's a lot to to really kind of analyze. But when you see six of the twelve games are against top twenty five opponents right now, Robin, and five of those six are on the road. Ouch. There's a reason that, you know, the Vegas uh, predicting the overall under win totals has Nebraska once again at, I think, about five and a half. And right now, I think that that's probably pretty realistic. You know, compare this to a year ago, I think it was, what, it was about six wins? Six. And we all scoffed at it, and we laughed, and, you know, I guess Vegas got the last <laughs> laugh on that one. Yeah. Uh, this time around, you know, it's hard to argue just because of that schedule and all of the unknowns surrounding Nebraska right now. I mean, they are under such a massive transition on both sides of the ball that to think that they're going to be a, you know, fully operational, clicking on all cylinders product by September 1st, um, that might be a little bit too optimistic. And so you look at that non-con, yes, they get three games at home. You know, you don't have that uh, big road trip in the non-con. Um, so if they get out of their 3-0, and that's a pretty good win or success right there. Yeah, Troy is not good. I mean, Troy is... Akron's okay. Yeah, Akron's I mean, I wouldn't... I mean, they're not a pushover. And then obviously Colorado, uh, you're talking about another Power 5 school coming to town with, you know, all the storylines there. There's going to be a lot of hype around that. So, uh, I mean... That's that's first and foremost. If they they got to try and hopefully get three and zero through non-con and then take on that beast of a Big Ten schedule. You look at that five game stretch at Michigan. Then you're home against Purdue, which, like you mentioned, Sean, is much improved from the old Purdue. Um, then you're at Wisconsin, at Northwestern. You host Minnesota. They're always tough. And then at Ohio State, that's a beast right there. <clears throat> Well, it, what, what's interesting is Nebraska, according to some of the college football analytics guys uh, like Adam McClintock and, and Dave Bartu, I don't know if you guys follow what they do, but it's pretty interesting stuff. They The Huskers have, uh, by their metrics, the second toughest strength of schedule in the country. Michigan's number one, right? You no, know, Arizona State's number, number one. one. Nebraska, UCLA, Michigan at four, Northwestern at five. Uh, but when you're talking about breaking in a new offense, new defense, uh, you know, new coaching staff, and you have the second most difficult strength of schedule in the country, I mean, that's a pretty daunting task there. Uh, and what's really interesting when you look at, at the toughest schedules by these guys' metrics is a lot of them are with first-year head coaches. you got Herm Edwards at Arizona State, uh, Coach Frost here at Nebraska, um, Chip Kelly at UCLA. I mean, that's I mean, that's kind of uh, those guys are walking into some some difficult schedules this year uh, with the transition, and and I think uh, you can make an argument that Nebraska has has, has potentially the the you know the biggest hill to climb, I guess, when you look at the the transition that they're making. Yeah, that stretch of three out of four road games to open Big Ten play. Wow. Um, I mean that is very difficult, and that's when when you play a nine game schedule. There's going to be the year we have five games in the league on the road. This is the year for Nebraska uh, where they have the five games. But you go at Michigan, like Robin said, then Purdue comes to Lincoln, then Wisconsin and Northwestern back to back on the road. Um, that is just a lot of travel um, in general uh, for Nebraska. Uh, you know when you look at just how this schedule lays out. Um, luckily, they get the three home games. I mean, I think if anything, when I look at it today. That opening three-game stretch, you just hope that they can get some rhythm and swagger mm -hmm. going 
at home in the friendly confines of Memorial Stadium can get that team off to a 3-0 start. And if they do that, I think getting to a bowl game obviously happens. But, yeah, 2-1 out of the gates – um, you know, then getting to six is going to be very interesting. Yeah, and so that that first three games, I mean, that's going to set the tone for the whole season, kind of like last year too, where um, you know maybe if they win that Oregon game, this whole everything changes. But um, you know, then they don't get a bye week until just before that Ohio State game at the end of October. So that is going to be a long run of games there, and you got to get off to a good start to give yourself you know a little bit of breathing room uh, and not have to go into each week trying to save your season. How unlucky do you have to be to have your crossover games with at Michigan, at Ohio State, and host Michigan State? Thanks, Big Ten. Yeah. I mean, how, well, does that, how does that happen? And this is what's happened. The Big Ten ha- has you tiered as an A team, a B team, or a C team, or tier one, tier, tier two, tier three. Well, Nebraska and I think Wisconsin are both tier one. So by the way it's set up, they, they will have more tier one matchups because the TV – money you know it's all about the tv money now um so just by pure tier one nature nebraska is going to have i think you know additional tier one type games especially with this nine game conference setup so thanks to the big 10 for not scheduling penn state instead of michigan state i guess yeah well <laughs> could be worse right? michigan <laughs> state's michigan state's higher in Stuart mandel's poll oh okay <laughs> so yeah pick your poison i guess but you know, I guess that's part of the deal, though. I mean, with a tough schedule, you, there's a lot of opportunity. And I don't think Scott Frost is one to back down from any challenge. Obviously, they're going to go through their share of bumps and bruises. But, you know, his first Central Florida team did, too. And, you know, look what happened after that. I think you can learn a lot about a team. and You can grow a lot as a team by going through something like this, as long as you don't let it get away from you like we saw last year. Now, they had some meetings this week in Arizona of all the conference commissioners and even some head coaches went out there and, um, you know, there's been some reports that Scott Frost got pretty vocal at the meetings themselves and uh, really talked about schedule balance, how the Big Ten, you look at what Nebraska is doing and compare that to an ACC or an SEC. Um, it's a real issue. And the SEC is going to continue to, to try to keep it at eight conference games because if the SEC were to go to nine with the 10th game being another Power Five non-conference game, um, a whole lot more coaches get fired in that league, and there's going to be a lot of seven and five SEC teams. But they want to protect their teams. They want to have a lot of eight and four, nine and three teams, and that's fine. Uh, but it, it just, I think, it puts the the three leagues, the Big Twelve, the Pac-12, and the Big Ten, at a major disadvantage in the eyes of a committee because of that ninth conference game paired with another Power Five non-con game. Yeah, it was funny to me though, is why the SEC is fighting it because it seems like when you lose a conference game, you get rewarded for it. So why not? I mean, you're uh, basically eliminating more risk of losing games, but I don't know. I guess they want to hang on to their late November games against the Citadel, you know, for whatever reason. Well, what's interesting is when you look at the the top 10 toughest schedules uh, by, by some of these metrics that are out there, uh, there's only one SEC team and one ACC team in the top 10, uh, and that's LSU at number six and uh, Florida State at number eight. And the Big Ten has five. They've got Nebraska at two, Michigan at four, Northwestern at five, Purdue at seven, and Indiana at ten. So, uh, I mean, there's, I mean, that's that shows you right there how lopsided uh, the the schedules really are. Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I just don't even think people realize the difference of the nine versus the eight conference games. And you know, in the case of a Pac-12 team. 
they they can't have the luxury to schedule like lower FCS teams because people on the West Coast won't go. I mean, they they have to schedule quality non-conference games on the West Coast. You don't see USC or UCLA scheduling crap FCS teams because the fan bases out there, it's already hard enough to get them in those stadiums. They're not going to go watch an FCS team play USC. So USC's playing Notre Dame or, you know, they're playing these legitimate non-conference matchups. Like sometimes two of their three games are power five. Um, so it's, it's a huge argument. And I, I think there needs to be more dialogue about it. And hopefully down the road, we will see uniformity with nine game league schedules across the board in college football. But uh, when we come back, we are going to shift over to uh, some basketball discussion, Uh, a lot going on in the world of Husker hoops with a new assistant coach almost hired and in the world of recruiting. We'll get Robin Washett's thoughts on that next. You're listening here to the Husker online show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett. We're going to talk some Nebraska basketball here as still lots going on in the world of Husker hoops as uh, let's start first, Robin. Nebraska made it official, uh, announcing Deshaun Burke, the Robert Morris transfer that averaged nearly 18 points per game uh, will be a Husker, uh, but has to sit out, obviously, the 2018-19 year. Yeah, uh, sit one, play two. Um, and this is one of the, I guess, one of the more coveted uh, transfer, traditional transfer guards on the market. Um, you know, he had some interest from St. John's, Marquette, uh, Pitt was getting involved. Um, and Nebraska made a really good impression with him um, initially after he uh, announced his decision to get his release from um, Robert Morris, he held some in-home visits, and um, on the Wednesday of the week after that, or he did that, uh, Tim Miles and Michael Lewis made a trip up there and had a really good visit with him to the point where um, that following Monday and Tuesday, he was scheduled to have his first official visit to St. John's. Well, um, he liked what Nebraska said so much that he called St. John's and said, I want to push this visit back because I'm going to go see Nebraska first. Uh, he took one visit, and before he even left Lincoln, pulled the trigger and committed uh, on Thursday afternoon before he headed back home. So um, you know, he's he's excited about the potential, and um, one of the things he told me was, you know, Nebraska laid it all out there. They were honest with him, uh, and he just got a really good feel for how they were going to use him, how they were going to develop him, and then, of course, Nebraska's track record with transfers was one of the big selling points. So um, you know, he's not going to be an instant impact guy next season, but in the long term, he helps address some backcourt depth for the following two years. Robin, how big of a problem is this for the non-power six conference teams i include the big east in there because uh there you, you get a guy that averages 18 a game uh, at a place like robert morris it just seems like very rarely are you going to get a lot of these players to stick it out and, and you're going to see transfer situations like nebraska has been able to take advantage of yeah it's just kind of the name of the game i mean with um, Division one transfers happening as rampant as they are, um, you know, you get those lower tier schools, um, you know, like a Robert Morris or whoever. Um, it's it's really hard to keep talent, you know, for four years. In fact, it's almost impossible because if a guy gets good enough, um, there there are going to be teams looking to add him. And you know, it's kind of just that natural progression of moving up the ladder. Um, that's really hard for kids to you know turn. Even down. Andrew White, he he. Exactly. He kind of used Nebraska to to he get did. to Syracuse. He did. He, he wanted to be on the bigger stage to showcase his abilities. So did he make a team, or is he in the he G did. League? He was, G- yeah, he 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 made an NBA roster. Um, so he's 
he made it. He was playing in games. So, uh, but anyway, uh, it's just kind of the name of the game, and it's really uh, a tough deal for those, you know, like I said, those mid-major schools uh, to be able to keep talent just because, you know, guys are always looking to take that next step up. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk to Nebraska basketball. And then uh, news on the assistant coach front, Robin, you've been on top of this really You've been the only Nebraska media member on top of covering kind of what's going on there. But you reported, uh, I know, this week on HuskerOnline.com that Armin Gates, formerly at Northwestern, now at Florida as an assistant, it's all but done that he's going to be the guy that replaces Kenya Hunter. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Um, you know, obviously, as of recording time, uh, nothing official had been made yet. Um, but I've been told that it is basically a done deal and it will happen, um, you know, very, very soon. So um, this guy was uh, someone that Nebraska identified pretty early in the process. Um, in fact, I mean, he was a name that you know, Tim Miles was looking at um, during the past couple assistant coach hirings. But at that point in his career, you know, he was just still a little bit too in, um, inexperienced. But since then, um, you know, obviously he had a great five years with Nor- Northwestern, helped lead them to their first NCAA tournament and tournament win. Um, and then, you know, on April 8th, was hired uh, at Florida as their associate head coach under Mike White. And, you know, that seems like a pretty good gig, but for whatever reason, it just wasn't a good fit. And it took him about three weeks to figure that out to where, um, you know, Florida, you know, was a, a kind of a let him go and um, kind of a mutual decision to, to go their separate ways. And Nebraska is going to be the benefactor of that um, because from a resume standpoint, Armand Gates checks every single box Nebraska is looking for. First and foremost, he's a you know star recruiter. Uh, that's, he's that's, got some connections. Who yeah. are his connections? Well, with? obviously Illinois. He's a Chicago native, uh, coached at Loyola Chicago, and then obviously co- recruited at Northwestern. But he's also got ties in Ohio and a little bit in Indiana too. So he's got that Rust Belt um, target area that Nebraska has tried so hard to get in with. Um, and then you add in Michael Lewis's ties to that region too. Uh, all of a sudden, Nebraska's got a pretty good presence. So um, you know that that's a big deal there. Oh, he went to Brewster Academy too, and if you know people are familiar with that school, that's where Thomas Allen went, um, and then you know obviously Kenya Hunter recruited that school heavily. So um, Nebraska still has connections on the East Coast with the prep ranks, um, and so you know we'll, we'll see kind of you know how he is as far as an X's and O's guy. Uh, from what I read, you know some of his main responsibilities for game day coaching with Northwestern were um, specialty plays and inbounds plays. You know those were two of the areas he focused on. So. You know, and recruit good players. But that's the thing. You know, Nebraska <laughs> doesn't need a guy that's going to draw up, you know, crazy, you know, sets or game You got plans. Jim Molinari. Yeah, that's, that's what Molinari's for. That's what Michael Lewis is for. And so they needed a guy that can make an instant impact recruiting. And I think that Armand Gates does exactly that. Now, did Molinari, just with his Illinois background, kind of have a lot of connections to this guy too? Or uh, Maybe. I um, mean, you know, I don't know exactly their relationship, but yeah, I mean – Make, that that kind of connects to the dots. Molinari knows everybody in the in the business, so I would imagine that they that definitely cross paths. But um, you know, clearly uh, that that the not only is he a good recruiter, but he has the Big Ten footprint ties that I think Tim Miles was really looking for. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we talk Nebraska basketball. Now they're still recruiting, Robin, still bringing in guys. Um, they've lost a guy that they brought in already, but still, uh, what can you tell us in the latest as far as filling these last spots? Yeah, the guy they lost out on was the seven-foot Argentinian by way of Australia, uh, Francisco Cafaro. 
Um, you know, he made an official visit earlier this month, and at the time when he left, it was a very good visit, and you know, Nebraska felt pretty good about where it was sitting. Um, he was going to go see Georgia Tech and then finish off with a trip to St. John's, and at that point, St. or sorry, not St. John's, St. Mary's, uh, and at that point, St. Mary's was the school everybody was worried about. But um, shortly after um, he wrapped up his second visit to Georgia Tech, Virginia got involved, and Tony Bennett got him on campus for an official visit. Shortly later, he commits to Virginia. So, I mean, it's hard to, you know, knock him for picking, you know, one of the best teams in all of college basketball last season. Uh, so Nebraska missed out there. But they do have another prospect on campus um, this week in Amir Harris, a 6'5", 2018 high school point guard out of Maryland. Um, he's, you know, uh, rivals analysts call him one of the best unsigned senior point guards on the market. So, um, you know, he's he's a rangy guy, you know, a good defender, um, fits more of that uh, true point guard mold. Old, but with his size, you know, he's you know, kind of fits the, you know, a little bit more of the Evan Taylor mold, but with more offense. So uh, I think that that's a kind of an intriguing piece that um, obviously Nebraska needs to address its backcourt for this coming season. And he would be a really nice addition with the rest of the class they have coming in. So um, obviously he's still you know, taking his time with his um, you know, decision. And this is his first visit, official visit as well. He didn't have any other visits lined up when I talked to him before his visit. Uh, so we'll see kind of what happens, you know, after this trip to Lincoln. But um, I think Nebraska's in a very good spot with him as well. And if they can land him, all of a sudden, you know, you're feeling a lot better about that 18 class than you were, you know, after the Kenya Hunter fallout. Now, Robin, uh, you know this obviously better than anyone else. W what is the recruiting calendar now? I, I believe the is the April period all shut down and things kind of go quiet as far as the AAU stuff until July? Yeah, AAU just it will continue. Uh, there still be events, but there's no live evaluation period. The next live eval period, and that those are the big ones. There's one at the end of April and there's one in July or several in July. I think there's three uh, over the course of the month of July. Um, those are the big ones, and so there's going to be a bit of a break as far as those big time uh, live eval periods. Um, so, you know, that's kind of why the timing of this assistant coach hiring is so important. You need to get that in place um, to get uh, your ducks in a row well before the start of the July period so you can identify who you're going to see, make your travel arrangements, you know, balance out your schedule um, and, you know, let, you know, Tim Miles get to have an idea of who, you know, you're in on. So um, that's, that's kind of where things stand right now. The April eval period obviously is over. And so there's going to be a little bit of a lull here, um, but the, there's still going to be tournaments and there's still going to be contact. Um, it's just not sitting courtside at games at, you know, those big time tournaments. All right. When we come back, we are going to take your questions in the mailbag as Husker, Husker Online intern David Eichold is with us in studio. He'll join us next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Hey, this is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus says we've got Husker Online intern David Eichold in the studio as he is out of school, at least for this semester and at least now, for now for now yeah uh but you got two two more classes in the summer school a may one a june one and then you'll graduate yeah, matt reynolds my wings and fly away and congratulations right to matt reynolds and he uh he walks this weekend right yeah he walks this weekend saturday you got to make sure we got to get him out of bed and make sure he's on time for that i, that, I know 8 a.m is really early for him <laughs> no i mean i i had that problem i nearly missed my graduation like no joke <laughs> we had a little too much fun friday night and uh, the alarm was not set right, and I think we had to be there. Always set your alarm before you out, Sean. Yeah, it was. That's you a know. 
Golden rule. Golden rule. But, all right, what do you got? We got the mailbag. Um, what do you got this week? All right, so there seems to be a trend of college programs hiring high school head coaches as assistants to get a leg up on recruiting. If you were Scott Frost and wanted to do this, what high school or region of the country would you hire a coach from? Well, there's a new rule, though, and I think Nate can speak on this. If that school has a prospect, um, you have to go, what, a whole year, Nate, without taking a pro- prospect from that school if you hire their coach? Yeah, you, unless that coach is hired as a full-time coach. So, for instance, with Trinity Catholic in St. Louis, when they hired Corey Patterson, who was their head coach, uh, or when Illinois hired him, uh, they made him the tight ends coach. So he went on as a full-time coach. Uh, so that allows them to recruit that school, and, and they've been recruiting that school. They've got two or three guys from there that are already committed, including Isaiah Williams, who's uh, I think I think he's ranked a, he's a top 100 player. I think he's the number one overall athlete in the country. So um, yeah, and then you've got Rutgers, who hired uh, Nunzio Campanelli, uh, who was at a Bergen Catholic high school there, which is a powerhouse in, in New Jersey. Uh, and you've got a, a bunch of other guys all over the country. But if you, what used to happen is like Michigan, for example, they hired uh, Devin Bush Sr., uh, who was the head coach of Flanagan High School in Florida, as as like a, you know, a student experience, you know, student recruiting experience coordinator or whatever. Um, it, but <laughs> so it was, yeah. So it was after after something like that happened when the NCAA said, okay, if you're going to hire somebody for a non full time coaching job, you can't recruit anybody from that school for two years uh and so that basically shut that down and and this is when you see the the high school head coaches getting full-time jobs at these schools director of buying steak for the training yeah. table <laughs> yeah that's par for the course with basketball though i mean that's that's been a long time strategy going all the way back to the danny manning days you hire a dad or a coach and uh directly tied to recruit and all of a sudden your program gets really good i would probably d- have done what Strange. illinois i mean yeah. the higher i mean Lovey Smith has not done a lot right, but that that was a good hire by him. And I mean, somebody like that from St. Louis, 500 mile radius guy, that would make a lot of sense. During the spring, we heard a ton about the improvements from Lamar Jackson. However, in the spring game, I, as well as many other people, felt he looked the exact same, soft and confused. Please convince me that my assessment is incorrect. Well, he's going to have to play this year. There's no doubt about it. I mean, they, they just don't have a lot of corners. I know Travis Fisher, the secondary coach, said that he was actually pleasantly surprised with what he got out of Lamar Jackson from the film he watched. He said he was a different player from his perspective this spring. So um, there's a lot left there to be desired. I'm not going to just take the spring game as the only evaluation on Lamar Jackson. Yeah, there was too much, too many guys, too many different coaches that brought him up specifically. I mean, anywhere from Scott Frost to Travis Fisher to um, Eric Chenander. So, I mean, you don't just throw that out there. Maybe they were just collectively trying to boost his confidence. I don't know, but... Uh, Here's the deal. He can't get much worse. I mean, last year was a total disaster. So, I mean, there's only only one way to go, and that's up. So I expect him to be a better player. And maybe if, you know, those reports from spring practices are accurate, a significantly better player this fall. Well, I mean, here's the deal. It's it's uh, it's time for him to really prove it because, you know, since he stepped on campus, he's been talking about when he goes to the NFL this and when he goes to the NFL that. Well, you haven't done anything to, to create a resume for yourself to get to the league yet. So now in, in your, your third year in the program, it's time to start – putting together some some tape and, and getting yourself ready to to become an NFL guy if that's what you want to do. So it's kind of put up or shut up time for Lamar Jackson. Money time, as the kids say. <laughs> Money time. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. We're taking your questions in the mailbag with intern David Eichel. 
On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not improved at all, 10 being most improved, how would you compare the current Husker roster to what we've seen in the program over the last five years in the following areas? 1, strength and conditioning, 2, mental attitude, and 3, team cohesiveness. I would say uh, 10 is the best score. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's an 8 or a 9 in, in the mental attitude and strength and conditioning. I mean, I hate to give out 10s. I think it's really but I, really um, hard to do that. But the, to me, the difference with Mark Phillip to Duvall is Duvall has been a head strength coach and proven it where I think Phillip was, you know, it was his first time truly being the head guy. And then there were a lot of other political layers brought in um, you know, around him, whether it was Bob Diaco's input, Boyd Epley's input, a number, a number of other things, Sean Eichhorst, uh, that made it difficult, I think, for a guy like Phillip to probably operate it the way he wanted to. So um, what was the third one? Uh, it was team cohesiveness. Team co- that, that's, that's too hard to grade right now. I mean, it's all wine and roses and picnics right now. I want to see what it looks like when they're getting beat and how things things go. But at this point in the year, uh, you know, it's hard to say where it's at because nothing bad has happened to test that team cohesiveness. I'm pretty sure every off season they've had team barbecues and everybody's feeling great. And this yeah. is the closest they've ever been. So they bought the buns. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but going back to your point, you know, with Duvall, Sean, I think you can say that for the entire coaching staff, the fact that there's more credibility with this staff because they've done it. You know, they went out and went 13 and 0 last year, um, you know, and, made up national championship rings and put banners up. So um, I think that in itself allows for guys to buy in a little bit more, um, which kind of helps improve, you know, at least two of those three categories. Um, And then, you know, the fact that they just haven't been good for such a long time. I think these guys are um, really desperate to experience success. And they know the one way to do that is all, you know, the old saying, all pull the rope the same direction. I think that's what we're seeing early on. But Again, everything's great when you're undefeated. So we'll we'll see what you know. All that stuff is graded out in the fall. Yeah, it's kind of hard to to really put numbers on it just yet. But I do think that the strength conditioning is one where you could say that uh, they've taken a big step forward, um, probably in that seven or eight range. And and I think it's because Duval has a you know has a track record um and, and what he says goes i mean i think scott frost is sitting there saying if, if zach duvall comes to him and says we need to do x y and z scott frost says okay do it uh and and i don't think it was necessarily like that under mark phillip so um you know but again i, I think that's maybe a better question to ask uh, halfway through next season all right we got time for two quick ones here what do you got left ohio state has become cornerback you in the past decade wisconsin o-line you and bama d-line you under frost what do you see nebraska becoming will we regain the time title of RBU once more. Well, running back is a huge part of Frost's offense. It's a matter of, I don't know if the running backs in his system necessarily translate to the NFL, um, the style of what they do. Um, I think for the sake of the program, you better hope that it gets back to the O-line and the D-line because uh, Nebraska is not winning anything until the O-line and D-line start having more pro guys. Yeah, if we're judging it just by putting guys in the NFL, I think wide receiver is probably the easiest answer. I mean, obviously Stan, Stanley Morgan tops that list, but you look at the guys coming up the ranks uh, with the newcomers they've added this offseason and will add in the fall, uh, along with young guys like J.D. Spielman, Tyjon Lindsey. I think there's a real potential to put a lot of those guys in the league with the style of offense they 
they run and the numbers that they're capable of putting up. So that would probably be the easiest answer. Yeah, I, I think wide receiver is a, is a position where they could start to make some hay there. But I agree with Sean. I think that you have got to, if you're Nebraska, you've got to start putting offensive and defensive linemen in the league because, uh, and if they do that, that will I think that will directly translate uh, to wins. All right, you got time for one last more. If you could have your own personal tunnel walk music, what would it be? <laughs> mm. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I mean, do you, do you go like heavy duty, or do you go? Oh, yeah. I do mean, you go deep? You go, you go hustling by Rick Ross. That's what I. Would do. I mean, I think that's that's the battle you have to fight first. Is do you go with like a real deep, like emotional song, or like just like. I mean, if it's a tunnel walk, you're playing football. So, I mean, you probably want to gear yourself up yeah. just to go slug somebody. Like, Robbins is going to be war ready. Yeah. <laughs> war ready by Rick Ross. I like Wisconsin's um, song they use, honestly. But I, I, I can't see Nebraska outright changing serious from it. You know, I think they can have some fun with what they're going to do. Uh, maybe at the beginning, do something different. But I think there's going to be a transition that song that goes to the original tunnel walk because they've just branded that thing for too long to just throw it out the window i wake up to sirius every morning i don't know yeah. about you guys it's actually my ringer on my phone it's right how many like think about in the state of nebraska how many wedding parties have come in and been introduced <laughs> to sirius Sir, i mean at I least mean, like seven weddings i've been to we weren't for the record we were eight, i think we were van halen jump you gotta be different don't you sean now that was my song, man. Well, what was you? Did you do Tunnel Walk, Nate? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, Nate Robin. Uh, I did Black Keys. Um, I got my. I got mine by Black Keys. That's what it was. Yeah, we were. I was. I was pretty. Was pretty loose already, so I'm. I think it was serious, but I'm not. I'm not 100 sure. We'll just say it. Was. So yeah, quick quick story. I uh I had my uh, Let's Go and Hustling as a walk up song for my uh, AAU team, and I gave them the explicit version. So right when I got introduced, they played it, and I got uh, double technical to start off the game. <laughs> no kid in the in a high school AAU game. Yeah, yeah. No one is surprised. Yeah, my, my, my mother was not very thrilled. That with must me be that day. a rule. In the <laughs> Mrs. Eichel had some choice words for me later. <laughs> On that note, uh, you got six credit hours to go, and you have a college degree. So, uh, congratulations! I'm sure we'll talk again here yeah. on the show. But got to keep hustling. All Maybe right, it, David. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk some recruiting with Nate Klaus. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus talking some recruiting now and. Nate, um, the coach is on the road. It's the evaluation period as uh, we're kind of flying right through it. Nebraska, you know, continue, you know, we'll have all 10 coaches out um, taking advantage of the time they can see players. But in the meantime, there have been a few different uh, key guys uh, that have, you know, li- eliminated teams and put Nebraska kind of on their final groupings. Let's start with Micah Pittman. Yeah, Micah Pittman, uh, top 100 overall prospect in the country. Uh, he is a, a highly rated, highly recruited wide receiver out of Calabasas High School, son of Michael Pittman, former NFL star. Um, and, and his brother is actually Michael Pittman uh, Jr., who's at USC right now. Um, he just released a top five that has Nebraska in, in there. And, uh, and what's interesting about that is his top five did not include the hometown schools, UCLA, USC. Uh, and he has not visited Nebraska. So for the Huskers to make the cut there, 
it was pretty significant news. Um, and, and he's scheduled to, to, to be visiting or he's, he was supposed to visit on, on May 5th, late, you know, later on this week. Uh, but he was unable to make that visit now. And he said that he's going to have to push that back, but he's still planning to visit Lincoln here at some point during the month of May, or perhaps during June, uh, maybe even for a Friday night lights camp or something like that. But, uh, that, that's pretty big news. Um, and, and possibly keeping that Calabasas pipeline open somewhat. You know, he never played with Tristan Jebbia, but I, I know for a fact that Tristan Jebbia has been involved in this recruitment. And Micah told me himself that Scott Frost has kind of t- taken the lead here. You know, Troy Walters had been um, kind of the lead recruiter, but Scott Frost has really taken the lead. And, and I think Frost has a relationship of some sort with Michael um, dating back to, to the Tampa Bay days. So, uh, so that's definitely an interesting development there. And then another guy, Nate, Ramir Johnson. Yeah, Ramir Johnson, a Rivals 250 prospect out of New Jersey, uh, one of the top running backs in the country. And, and this guy, I mean, he's a home run hitter. He's uh, he's very, very fast um, and, and elusive, kind of checks all the boxes that, that the staff seems to want at the running back position. He visited Nebraska for the first junior day uh, back in the beginning of April, um, and, and he just released a top four with Nebraska in the mix, uh, along with Boston College, Rutgers, and uh, – Ole Miss. So when you look at it on the surface, you, you, I think you know a lot of people will go, okay, well maybe this is going to be a Nebraska Ole Miss battle because you know Boston College and Rutgers aren't necessarily at the same level uh, as Nebraska and Ole Miss. Uh, but the interesting part here, and, and we talked about it a little bit earlier uh, during the mailbag, is that Nunzio Campanelli, who is was uh, Ramir Johnson's head high school football coach last year at Bergen Catholic there in New Jersey, he's now at he's now the running backs coach at Rutgers. Uh, so that's something to kind of keep an eye on. I really like Nebraska's chances with Ramir Johnson, but I'm not necessarily ready to say that that he's a lock to be a Husker by any stretch. Uh, I still think that Rutgers could be a little bit of a dark horse there. Um, and, and even Boston College, you know, I, I think, um, you know, the the draw to, to perhaps stay on the East Coast could, could still be there. But uh, like I said, I really do like Nebraska's chances. I think they lead with him, but I would not um, I would not count out Rutgers there, especially with that connection with the former high school football coach. And then Jermaine Johnson, as we talk recruiting with Nate Klaus, a linebacker from Independence uh, Community College in Kansas, Nate, right? Uh, he'll be coming into Lincoln? Yeah, so uh, Jermaine Johnson's a really interesting prospect. I mean, he's he's six six, two hundred thirty pounds. Um, plays defensive end at Independence High or Independence Community College there in Kansas. Uh, is a really, really tremendous pass rusher, very explosive player. Nebraska wants him as an outside linebacker uh, in their defense. And um, and there's some connections there because Jermaine Johnson is the former high school teammate of J.D. Spielman. Uh, he was a year younger than J.D. Uh, they both went to Eden Prairie High School there in, in Minnesota. Um, and he talks with J.D. Spielman all the time, he said. Uh, they, they've kept in touch from high school, uh, and he's followed J.D.'s career. So he's really, really interested to get on campus and, and to check out Nebraska. I know that uh, he's going to be bringing his mother along with him, and and he's a guy that's really, really blown up here lately. Uh, has added a ton of offers. Just picked up USC the other day. So, uh, so he, I mean, he's a premier junior college prospect. Um, you know, because there there are probably only a handful of guys right now in the junior college ranks that have 
15 plus offers from you know programs like Nebraska and USC and and Oregon and and in those types of places and and Jermaine Johnson's one of those guys and I think when you look at what they want and need at that outside linebacker position he would fit that to a T. Nate, when you look at JUCOs overall, how many offers would you say Nebraska has made right now for the 2019 cycle in the junior colleges? I want to say they're at eight or nine uh, offers right now. There's been a couple guys that have committed already. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think they're at eight or nine uh, at this moment with, uh, with the majority of them being at the offensive tackle position. That's where, you know, I think they have to go at least get one JUCO, right, and maybe two high schools. Yeah, I think uh, when you look at their needs, uh, I think they're going to be bringing in anywhere from four to five offensive linemen in this class, and probably if, if they if, if three or four of those four to five will be offensive tackles, and and I think ideally they'd like to bring in two junior college offensive tackles, if for nothing else, to be quality backups uh, and provide some depth there at the positions because you got you got some inexperienced offensive tackles right now with uh, with a Brendan Hymas and Farniak. and a Farniak. so. Uh, well, even Farnia could kick into guard. Yeah, it, it would allow you if you if you're able to bring in two JUCO guys. I think that would allow you to kind of reshuffle some things up front and, and really get your 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 five best offensive linemen on the field at one time. Plus, not be worried if if one of those guys goes down because right now, you know, as young as Brennan Hymas is and as promising as his career has been up to this point, um, you know, if God forbid if if he goes down with an injury, you got Christian Gaylord back there who's never really. Played played any significant stat snaps in his career. So I think that's why they'd like to ideally bring in a couple JUCO offensive tackles uh, in this 2019 class. And then, Nate, uh, within the 500-mile radius, we've seen some offers this week to some younger prospects, both in Iowa and places like Kansas. Yeah, it's been interesting to, to watch the kind of the push um, you know, for for some younger talent in the surrounding states, you know, with with Iowa, uh, they've they've offered a handful of they've offered three two two twenty twenty prospects, uh, including Gavin Williams uh, and Tyler Miller. Tyler Miller is a big six eight two hundred seventy pound offensive tackle uh, that they've actually beat the you know beat Iowa Hawkeyes to the punch there with with that offer. Uh, he's got I think he's got Iowa State and another uh, another Power Five offer at this point in time, and then Gavin Williams. Williams, who's probably going to be the number one overall player in the state of Iowa for 2020. Um, and then uh, and then they've offered a 2021 defensive tackle out of Bettendorf, uh, Iowa. And then they also offered out of Kansas um, Tucker Cochran, who is a uh, you know, big 6'6", 280-pound offensive tackle uh, out of Lawrence Free State High School. And, and he, this is a kid that's picked up a ton of offers, including one from Ohio State just recently. Uh, I believe Oregon has come in and offered him recently and uh, really, really heated up here. And, and uh, you know, his his uh, high school basketball coach is a former as a Nebraska alumni that, that follows the Huskers. He's a diehard Husker uh, football fan. And uh, so there are some connections there. And, uh, you know, a lot of actually a lot of really good talent coming up in the 2020 and 2021 classes here in the surrounding states. Well, it should be a busy time here as Nebraska's coaches continue their time out on the road. Uh, make sure you're logged on to HuskerOnline.com. We're continuing our spring position analysis pieces. Husker baseball um, has another big home weekend against Maryland. If they can um, have a solid, maybe even a sweep this weekend, uh, trying to get themselves back into contention to make that Big Ten tournament in Omaha. So uh, still lots going on, and it will be graduation weekend as well. So congratulations to 
all of the Husker student athletes graduating this weekend, and really anyone um, uh, that's graduating from UNL as uh, you, you made it, uh, as you'll move on to that next chapter in life. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 